We're jumping into another message in our relationship series called People Problems. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. God, thank you so much for the space we have that you blessed us with, an opportunity to step aside from all the distractions and expectations and the busyness of our weeks and days to focus in on you. We need you. We don't need me. We don't need more of ourselves. We just need you. So we ask that you'd meet us in this space this morning, that you would cut through our sometimes hard hearts and help us to hear your word and your truth um, and your encouragement and even maybe your correction in our hearts uh, so that we could follow you, so that we could step into the purpose you have for us, so that we could be more like Jesus. And uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got people problems. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got people problems, and you're one of them. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> Even if they are one of them, don't do that. Uh, welcome. We're talking about our people problem series, and last week we looked at Saul and David and this incredible opportunity David had presented in to, to eliminate the problem, the person problem, uh, and to take out Saul, who was trying to kill him, and yet David chose a better way. There's a better way for us in our relationships and just being driven by emotions and allowing those to affect all the different ways in which we react and respond to people. There's a better way than just letting your circumstances like hijack your life and your relationships and just letting the circumstances of your life drown you. There's a better way than just letting your past dictate to you how your future relationships will go. There's a better way to be in relationship with each other. And it's important to understand because God has designed you to be in relationship with others. And learning how to follow him in that lets you step into your purpose and adds a ton of meaning to your life the richness of your life is not defined by how much money you have or how many things you have. The richness defined in your life that defines your life is based in the richness of your relationships. And we want you to experience all that God has for you. Last week we looked at the better way and we ripped off like 10 things to kind of like focus on. And it's a lot. Maybe just pick one to focus on to kind of like apply to your relationships and see if following, test him, like see if following God's way is just better than following our own way. Today we're in our People Problem series and the topic this morning is not fun. <laughs> and so uh, what we're talking about this morning is resentment and the title of this message is No Room for Resentment. We're going to end up looking at the story of Joseph and his brothers, and while we cannot dive into this whole story, as I was wrestling with this message, I'm, I'm like, man, we need a whole series probably on the life of Joseph, and uh, so that's probably going to be here in 2024, because um, I know some of you think I just stand up here and say whatever I want to say the morning of, but we actually... We actually got plans, and our plans are laid out, so maybe sometime in 2024 we'll get to the life of Joseph. This morning we're just going to talk a, about a snippet of his life, but a really important part 
as it applies to resentment. Now, resentment is not a fun topic. And the, there's a pretty good chance across all of our services and all of our campuses that there are a significant amount of you that are wrestling with or carrying resentment in your heart towards someone. Maybe it's not the person you live with. Maybe it's a boss or maybe it's a friend or someone who has hurt you or betrayed you at some point. But if you are carrying resentment, my hope for you this morning is that maybe you'd be able to see it a little bit clearly understand a little bit more about what's going on in your heart and how it's affecting things and that you'd ultimately experience some freedom that God in his mercy and grace would give you some freedom if you're willing to choose it from some resentment that you're carrying because resentment is complex and it's miserable (laughs) and if you have been living in resentment the chances are that you are miserable and don't even see it. (laughs) And if I took a poll of the people around you, even the people you are not mad at, they would all probably agree that it has been affecting you. Resentment is a very complex thing. It's, It's got layers of complexity. You take a little anger and frustration, add in some hurt, maybe a little embarrassment, Spice it up with some regret, and that will all build to a a crazy mix of disappointment, disgust, anger, defensiveness, and even hostility. I hope none of that applies to you right now. I hope you're like, well, this sermon's going to be a waste of time. Maybe I should open up my phone and work on my grocery list for Giant. If that's you... God be with you. I'm glad. Like, work on the list. I hope it doesn't apply to you, but too often we carry this baggage of resentment. We let the seeds of anger and disappointment and hurt grow into a place where we are disgusted by others, where we are, our, short, our tempers are so short, where we're living in regret about the decisions that we have made that have led us to this current experience, where we're even feeling that kind of hostility when we're stepping through the door at home. And the results of living in resentment are that, that you say things that you never would have thought you would have said. You do things that you never thought you would do. I can't tell you how many people I have had say, I can't believe I said that to that person. I never would have said that. I don't know what's going on with me. I can't believe I've done that. I never would have done that. And you end up becoming a person that you never wanted to or thought you would become if you hold on to and allow room for resentment to grow in your life. Resentment, it is complex and it's ugly. I want to read a little bit. We're going to jump around in the story of Joseph, but I want to start off with uh, the resentment that his brothers had for him. And in Joseph, I'm sorry, in Genesis, if you're following along in your Bible, if you want a Bible, we'd be glad to give you a Bible. Um, in, or you can pop open your phone and download a Bible app. I use the YouVersion Bible app. It's great, and it's free. 
So that's, that's free info, info for you this morning. Uh, I want to read just a little bit about Joseph and his brothers, but you need a little bit of backstory. Joseph's father was Jacob. He was a tool. Man, this guy was, I don't want to say a loser for a lot of his life, but he did some really shady, manipulative stuff. God redeemed his story. It was incredible. God redeemed his story, gave him a new identity and a new name. And so if you're reading your Bible, sometimes you will see Jacob referred to by Jacob. Sometimes you'll see him referred to by the name Israel. That's the name that God gave him as he redefined his identity and um, led him to this incredible promise that he gave for Jacob. And Joseph had a bunch of sons, and one of his sons or Jacob had a bunch of sons, and one of his sons' name was Joseph, and he loved Joseph more than all the other brothers, which is a seed that can start resentment. That's not fair. That's not right. Like, parents shouldn't have favorites. There shouldn't be one exalted above all the others. Jacob blew that there, though God had redeemed his story. He was not perfect. And if you've done some things to cause some resentment in other people, you've messed up some stuff, I just want you to know, like, as you're looking at your story with maybe a little bit regret this morning, that if there is hope for Jacob, there is certainly hope for you. If, there's hope, if God can redeem Jacob's story, God can redeem your story. If God can bring help relationships out of Jacob's mess. He could bring healthy relationships out of your mess. There's hope for you. Jacob had this favorite son named Joseph, and he gave him this multicolored robe. And those of you that have rocked Sunday school old enough, long ago enough to know what flannel graphs were, you probably have a picture in your head of this beautiful, colored, wonderful, bright robe. He gave him this ornate robe. And not only that, but Joseph was a guy who had visions. He dreamed God-given dreams about what was going to happen in the future. God would use this gift that he had given him to move Joseph along in his purpose for him. But that doesn't mean that Joseph always executed it with wisdom. Joseph had this dream about his brothers bowing down to him and how he would be the great one. And like probably all foolish brothers do, he told them all the story. <laughs> so not only is the seed of resentment planted because Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his brothers and wasn't shy about it by dishing out this fancy coat, but Joseph also probably came across a little bit arrogant and a little bit cocky as he laid out to his brothers, hey, check this out, there's going to be a day, because I saw it in a dream, where you're all going to bow down to me. Isn't that cool? Not cool. No. No brother wants to hear that. Resentment started with a seed that's ugly, and it takes you places you never thought you would go. It makes you someone you never thought you would become. And it is not God's plan for you. It is not how he wants you to respond to hurt and embarrassment and pain. His brothers had gone out to graze the cattle, sheep, and the sheep or the goats or whatever out in the field, and um, Jacob had pulled Joseph in and said, hey, go check on your brothers. And he sends him out to check on his brothers. It says, 
So Joseph, he, he bumps into some guy, says, hey, I'm looking for my brothers. He's like, oh, I think they went that way. Joseph goes on to find them, and it says this in 17b. It says so of chapter 37. It says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothem, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. The response that resentment invokes in you is not a reasonable, measured response to the offense that started it. The thing that resentment causes you to come out, causes to come out of you, does not equal the wound that you suffered that started the whole thing. They had a favorite brother, not fair, hurtful, for sure. Their favorite brother got things they didn't get. Not fair. Hurtful for sure. The favorite brother was a little bit cocky and didn't know how to keep appropriate communication going between him and his brothers. He just piled it on. Not fair and hurtful, but not deserving of murder. Resentment takes you places you never thought you'd go. It's ugly. It's complex. And it's ugly, and the response it invokes in you is not equal to the hurt that caused it all. And it doesn't fix the hurt that caused it all. It doesn't even address it. How could it possibly make it better for you? They threw him in a cistern without water in it. It was a dry pit, and they were leaving him there. They stripped his jacket off of him, and they had his jacket, and so they were eating lunch and planning on how they were going to kill him. I don't know, maybe they were just going to leave him there. They saw this pack of Midianite people, these, I don't know, tradesmen coming through in a distance. And they thought, maybe what we should do instead of kill him is we'll just tear up his jacket. We'll kill a goat. We'll pour the blood all over the goat. We'll uh, sell him into slavery. That seems better to us. And then we'll tell dad that he gave him the coat and he died by animal attack or something. And so that's the plan that they did. They, they, they sold him into slavery, and the Midianites took him to Egypt and sold him into slavery there. And the story gets really complex for Joseph at this point. They return home, and they give their dad the robe, and he recognized it, and he said, It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Resentment is complex. It's ugly. The result outweighs the initial offense. And it leaks. It always leaks. The weird thing about resentment is it often is how we feel like we're punishing a person for making our lives miserable, right? Like, that's how I'm going to get you. I'm just going to let resentment build up in my heart. I'm going to point out everything you do wrong. I'm going to make sure you don't forget how miserable you have made me and us and all this stuff. We think it's a form of punishment, but it always, always leaks out. In this case, it leaked out and it broke their father's hearts to pieces 
Maybe in your case, it leaks out and it's breaking your kid's heart, your grandkid's heart. When we allow resentment space in our lives, it does not just affect the person we want it to affect. It affects you and it makes you miserable. And it also spills out and affects other people you love who in your right mind you would never want your baggage to hurt. The love they wanted from their father that they saw him dish out to Joseph, they just wanted his love and they broke his heart. Resentment is messy, it's complex, it's ugly, it leaks, and it also grows. Where in this do you ever see the real issue being talked about? Here's how resentment in your life will go. If you are unwilling to talk about the real issue, you're unwilling to talk about what's underneath the anger, what's underneath the hurt, what's underneath the embarrassment. If you're unwilling to be vulnerable enough to say, this thing really hurt me, why did you do it? Let's talk about what's underneath the whole thing. If you are refusing to commit, resentment grows with a lack of communication about what the real issue is. Nowhere in here are, is anybody talking to Joseph and being like, man, you're coming a little strong here. You're testing my patience. I'm about sick of it. Let's talk about why you're doing Let's talk about what's going on. At what point does anybody go say to Jacob, hey, man, like, not cool you have a favorite son. What about us? What about our feelings? What about what's going on here? A lack of communication about the real issue causes resentment to grow. Resentment grows when we make assumptions and inferences. When you infer their look is about you instead of just about whatever is bothering them. You start assuming that all the problems, all the tone, all the anger, all the frustration is about you and that person. And resentment grows as you hold on tight to the wounds of your past. It grows and it's also something that you have to maintain resentment. And if you have been in a resentful relationship for a long time, you have been spending enormous amounts of energy just to stay mad at that person. You have to maintain it. You maintain it by focusing on the grievances you have. Make that the focal point of your life. You refuse to forgive. And I know forgiveness is tough. It's a whole nother sermon in this series. We're gonna spend a whole Sunday talking about forgiveness. It's really tough and complicated. Forgiveness is about setting you free, not about letting the other person off the hook. You refuse to forgive. If you wanna maintain, you gotta maintain your resentful heart by justifying yourself over and over again convincing yourself that you are right, that you're right to feel this way, that you're right to act this way, that you're right to take it out on them this way. And then you have to ruminate on the negative. All the negative things you can nitpick and pick out and point to to help justify yourself and the anger and hostility that you've been carrying around in your heart. Joseph, on the other hand, he chooses a different way. And the offense that Joseph suffered is a lot bigger than the offense that his brothers suffered at his hand and his father's hand. Uh, 
You see, the story goes on, and there's so much to get into it. His story has been complex, and there's a lot of things going on for him. He ends up in Egypt as a slave. He goes to prison for a while. Not fun stuff. Eventually, he ends up being tight with Pharaoh and being placed in charge of incredible stuff in the nation of Egypt. A famine's coming, and part of his preparations as this very important figure in Egypt is to store the grains so that the nation can survive the famine that's going to be there. He's got this incredibly influential position. He's got this incredible voice with Pharaoh. Listen, if you follow God and you try your best to like live his direction for your life, you stay humble, he will exalt you. You will step into your purpose. You will have influence where you need to, where you want to have it, if you're willing to follow him. Joseph was governor of the land. He sold the grain that he had stored up and helped the people survive the famine. And it says that, his brothers had been sent to, not all of his brothers, Benjamin was home with the dad, and they had been sent to Egypt because of the famine to buy grain and supplies and all that stuff. Desperate circumstances. They show up into Joseph's court, and it says in verse 8 of chapter 42, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then he, he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies, you've come to see our, our land is protected. He's talking through an interpreter the whole time, and, and this is really a complex part of the story. He ends up keeping them in prison for a couple days while he's figuring out what he's gonna do. I've read some stuff, and people have said, well, maybe this is vengeful of him. I don't think so. I think he's concerned about his brother Benjamin. He's trying to assess where the hearts of his brothers were. He has not seen them in a really long time. Last time he saw them, things weren't good. He wants to know if his father's okay. So eventually, after a couple days, he says, listen, I'm gonna send you all home. You bring back Benjamin. I want all of you to be here in front of my court. I'm gonna keep one of you in, my, in prison here with us until you, you all come back. They send him home, and there's some other complex things that are going on, but eventually they go home, and they talk to their dad, and they have this big thing, and dad says after reluctantly, go ahead, take him. He's very concerned about what's going to happen to Benjamin. They come back in chapter 45, and this is where Joseph makes himself known. Listen to the words here that he uses. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants when his brothers returned with Benjamin. He cried out. He dismissed them all. Or he cries out, have everyone leave my presence. So it's just him and his brothers there. There was no one with Joseph. He made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because, well, they were terrified at his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do listen to this. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with, your, with yourselves. Do not be angry with yourselves. 
for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. Lord of his entire household. He goes on and he says some other things. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Some time rolls on and dad dies. His brothers are still fearful even though he has said all these incredible things. So they say to themselves, what if he kills us now because dad's gone? What if he was only keeping us alive because dad was here, still questioning his motives? At the end of this, in, ch in chapter 50, it says that, uh, in 15, it says, um, they, had, they had brought this all, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly, kindly, kindly to them. If you want to keep yourself from being in a place of resentment, you need to keep short accounts. Joseph forgived, even though they never said they were sorry. His heart was soft before God because he wasn't clinging to the harms that had befalled him. He wasn't sitting around going like, how my life would have been different if I didn't marry him. <laughs> how things would have been better if I would have not hitched my wagon to this ride. He wasn't sitting around thinking about all those things. He was keeping short accounts. Forgiveness is hard. Start practicing on the little stuff and do it often. Forgive quickly. If you don't want to end up in a place of resentment, not only do you have to forgive quickly, but you have to learn how to see the good. If it is true in Romans 8.28 that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, then even in your crumbling relationships, God is doing something for your good in there. We can't see it because another thing we do that ends up leaving us in a place of resentment is we just focus on and think about all the wrongs and we make our list of all the ways the person has failed us and we're willing to pull out our list every chance we get, every fight, every argument. Here's the list of how disappointing you have been since 1977. By the way, also firmly planting us in the seat of resentment. We have to learn how to see the good. Do you know what's interesting? When 
uh, in marriage counseling, a lot of times what a really good trained counselor will do is just sit down in front of them and they, instead of going like, okay, what's wrong? And everybody leaves counseling angrier because you just talked about everything that's wrong in your relationship for the last, I don't know, 45 minutes or whatever. You know what a really good marriage counselor will do? They'll sit down and they'll be like, okay, so tell me why you married this person. What was it about them that you loved? What are a couple positive things that you saw in them back then? I know you can't think about it now, but back then, like if you remember yourself back then, it's a good exercise to do if you're married. Like make a new list. What are all the things that they do? I know you can't stand to hear them breathe. (laughs) But what are some things that they used to do that you used to love? Why did you say yes? Start to see the good. In fact, make a list of it. In Philippians 4.8, it says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Detach your brain and your heart from the list of negatives and start to write a new list. Take that list you've been carrying around in your back pocket, just waiting to pull it out every chance you get to remind the person. Take that list and burn it and write a new, it's not doing anything for you. And by the way, it's not fixing them either. (laughs) It would have fixed them a long time ago if the list worked. So scrap it, write a new list for your sake, for their sake, for everybody's sake. Write a new list about what's good and think about those things. You want to get out of a place of resentment or keep it from finding its place into your life? Then get back to talking about the real issues underneath all the stuff that's driving you crazy. Have the conversation calmly about the unfair thing you were stuck on. Talk about the real issues that are underlying the anger. You're not angry. Your anger is a response to your sadness or your embarrassment or your fear. Get to the real issue and start talking about the real issue. I know it's scary, but it's way better than living in resentment. And then here's one that might be even tougher. Start using kind words when they come through the door, when you're at breakfast, at night before you go to bed, at your workplace, when you're stepping into your boss's office, when you'd rather throw your coffee at him. Use <laughs> kind words instead. Now here's the, here's the last part. And I say this as someone who has had to do this as well, okay? If your heart is resentful, you need to pray. You need to pray that God would soften your heart. That's easy. You also need to pray for the other person. You don't need to pray that they'd get their act together, they'd stop being an idiot, that they wouldn't eat their cereal like that anymore. You don't need to pray that stuff. You need to pray for their good. 
that they would step into God's purpose for their life, that they could experience more meaning in life, pray for their happiness, pray for their joy, pray for their faith, pray without strings attached. You need to pray for your heart to soften and for their heart to move closer to God. And here's the even tougher part. If you are living in resentment, this might trigger you, I don't care. You need to repent. It's killing you. And repentance is a willing decision to see a wrong and to turn in the opposite direction of it. You gotta let go of the betrayals you have been clinging to. When are you gonna let go? You need to let go of the anger and the bitterness you've been clinging to. It's only hurting you and turn to a better way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of Joseph. Resentment is such a complex, hard thing, man. We've all, you know we've been there, and it is definitely not how you've called us to live. There's no freedom there. There's no joy. It's just misery. We think we're punishing other people, but really, we're just turning more wounds into more wounds into more wounds all by ourselves. And it's spilling out and hurting other people that we care deeply about. Father, would you soften our hearts towards the people we have been carrying resentment and hate towards. Soften our hearts. Help us to see it's less about them and more about us. We know that your way is best, though sometimes difficult. Would you help us to walk it out in our relationships? Don't let us cling to our resentment anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.